continuing our Advent series. I'm just curious, but does anybody normally talk about Advent in their family? Raise your hand. Not very much, right? That's what I thought. I'm exactly like the majority of you in this room. I grew up in a family where I did not even hear the word Advent until I was in college. In fact, um, the thing that would come to my mind first when I heard the word Advent was not like the coming of baby Jesus into this world. The first thing I thought when I heard the word Advent was my favorite Christian hardcore band. So like, so literally, if you were to say five years ago, if you were to say the word Advent to me, I'd be like, oh yeah, like the, the Christian hardcore band, right? Like moshing came to mind, not Jesus. Moshing and screaming through a microphone. That's what came to mind when I heard Advent, not this ancient, beautiful Christian tradition that all of us are invited to partake in. Advent is typically viewed by us. We are considered modern-day evangelical Christians. That's how we would identify technically. Typically, we see Advent as something that is like religious. Some of us even think it's like a Catholic tradition. But Advent is a beautiful, ancient Christian historical tradition where we, as churches, slow down and we remember something. We remember something. Now, Advent is actually becoming more of an emphasis in churches today. It's becoming more of a trendy thing to do. And I don't say trendy in a bad way. I actually think practicing Advent is a really amazing thing. I'm so glad we're doing it this year. The more that I think about the meaning of Advent and the more that I meditate on it, honestly, the more prayerful I have been in waiting on the coming of Jesus and meditating on what that actually means for me. Now, this year in New Song Students, it's our first time talking about Advent. And instead of what we're going to do, what we're doing is instead of treating Christmas the way the world does, the world has kind of hijacked the meaning of Christmas. It's, it is a little broken. I don't know if you noticed. It is no longer about the coming of baby Jesus. It is about Black Friday Christmas shopping. It's about getting the next best thing. And I get it. I like getting new stuff at Christmas. But that is what Christmas has become. I think it's a little broken. And so what Advent does is it reminds us that all of us are still in a waiting season. If you're taking notes, write this down. Advent is about taking the time to remember that we are all in waiting. And this is actually really cool during a time when we're about to receive a bunch of gifts that we've probably been waiting for. Because it reminds us that when you finally get the thing you were waiting for, guess what? You're still actually waiting. You're waiting for something better. You're waiting for something deeper. And Advent puts us in that posture of waiting. In the same way that all of creation was waiting for the coming of baby Jesus, in the same way that all of creation was waiting for baby Jesus, we are waiting for Jesus to return again. New Song students, you know Jesus is coming back, right? He is coming back. Praise God. And we are waiting. We are all in a waiting season for him to return. We're all waiting. And so with that being said, I want to jump into our main passage. We're going to pray real quick and then, and then jump into the meat of this word. Matthew 24, in this string of passages, um, Jesus is talking about the end times. He's talking about what life is going to be like when he returns again. Now, you ever, have you ever heard somebody say, throw out a date and be like, Jesus is coming back, August 2023? Have you ever heard somebody say that before? This wasn't in my notes, but I just got to share it real quick. One time uh, at my last church, 
This is a mega church, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm in the message. We're in an end time series. And the pastor threw out a date. Threw out a date. And here's the worst part. The date was before Haley and I were going to get married. And I was like, no! But praise God, Jesus didn't come back, but he is coming back anyway. Amen? Okay. Matthew 24, 36. Here we go. This is what Jesus says about his return. Look at this. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Somebody say no one knows. Just remember that next time somebody throws the date out. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Time out. Jesus, he's talking about his future return, and he likens it to Noah. Now, what happened during Noah's time? Everybody was living their life, business as usual. They're marrying, they're hanging out, they're partying, they're just living their life. And all of a sudden, a flood showed up that had been warned about. They were not prepared. Jesus says he's returning in that same kind of way. The world is going to be business as usual. He's going to come unexpected, okay? You following me? Let's continue. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left, left behind. Anybody scared? Kids, when you were a kid, you were like afraid you weren't going to get raptured? Yeah, that verse scared people as a kid. Verse 41. Two men, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. Somebody say, stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in which part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Somebody say, be ready. Be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Just curious, who wants to be ready when Jesus returns? Yeah, I think we all want to be ready. Ready. So that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. I want to talk about prepared in the waiting. Write that down if you're taking notes. Prepared in the waiting. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for this Advent season, Lord. I know that this is something that is new for a lot of people in this room tonight. But God, I pray that you would teach us your unhurried rhythms of grace, Lord. Would you show us what it means to wait patiently, but also to wait prepared. Lord, help us to be people who are ready, every day ready, saying, Jesus, you could return today. Is my life in order? Am I ready for the coming of the Son of God a second time? Holy Spirit, I thank you for this Advent season where we can slow down and and purposefully wait and when we wait, we, we declare that you are enough for us, that you are better than any next thing we could ever get and desire and, and possess. You are better. And so, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word tonight for us? Show us what it means to be ready, to wait well, to be filled with your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay. How many of you guys enjoyed Pastor Sarah's message last week? Man, preached the house down. She did a phenomenal job kicking off our series on Advent. I want to quickly remind us what she talked about because I'm going to build on what she 
preached last week. So she gave us a summary, a beautiful summary of this entire series, what Advent is. Advent is this. It is cheerful waiting. It is hopeful preparing and wondrous watching for Jesus to break into our lives in all moments. So Sarah walked us through how to cheerfully wait, right? We looked at a guy named Simeon who was cheerfully waiting for baby Jesus to show up. And we looked at two aspects of Simeon that we can model today as we practice Advent. The first is that celebratory waiting requires consecration. Wow, that was a lot of big words. Celebratory waiting requires consecration. What does consecration mean? Pop quiz, anybody want to shout it out real quick? To be holy, let's go. That's right. Consecration means to be holy, to be different as our God is holy and different. She reminded us this amazing phrase. What did she say? She said, you are not a cookie cutter person. You remember that? You are not a cookie cutter person. And that's a good reminder for us New Song students because it's easy for us to want to drift into our cultural identity more than to lean into our identity in Christ, right? Because sticking out like a sore thumb is awkward sometimes. We would rather blend in with the crowd than sometimes identify with Christ because if you identify with Christ, guess what? You're different than everybody else. You act different. You talk different. You walk differently. But Sarah reminded us to lean into that identity in Christ because we are no cookie-cutter Christians. Amen? The second thing she told us about is celebratory waiting requires endurance, not giving up. She talked about Simeon every day waking up saying, today could be the day that Jesus shows up. Do you remember this? And Advent is cheerfully waiting. So we looked at this guy named Simeon. He was a priest who was in the temple, and the Holy Spirit talked to Simeon and told him an amazing promise, which is crazy because this doesn't happen very often before Jesus ascended. Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that he was not going to die until he saw the consolation of Israel. What does that mean in normal people talk? That means that the Holy Spirit told Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah in the flesh. Pretty amazing promise, right? So this word from the Holy Spirit changed the way Simeon lived his life. It changed the way he lived his life. He lived his life in a state of cheerfully waiting for Jesus to show up every single day, waking up with the excitement of today could be the day. Today could be the day Jesus walks into these doors. Now, let's pause for a second. Let's put ourselves in Simeon's shoes for a second. I think that the fact that he stayed a cheerful waiter is a miracle. Because we don't know how old Simeon is. We don't know how long he waited for Jesus to show up. But I think it's safe to say that he probably waited a really long time. And I don't know about you, but the longer that I wait for something, the harder I get at being patient. Anybody else? The longer I wait, the less of a cheerful waiter I am. I might start off waiting for the first week of Jesus after that word, like if the Holy Spirit told me and I'm Simeon, hey, you're not gonna die until you see the Christ, I might be able to go seven days with like, today could be the day. But after day seven, you know what I'm gonna start thinking? I'm gonna start thinking, will this day ever come? It's been a full week. Where are you at? And then 
you wait a little bit longer, it's gonna go from that to, I'm gonna start thinking, you know, I'm starting to question whether this is actually ever going to take place. That goes to, if, if you wait longer than that, you're eventually gonna to get to this place where you doubt that you even heard God in the first place. You're gonna start thinking, did God really say that I was gonna see the consolation of Israel? I don't know about you, but I think it's a miracle that Simeon was able to wait as long as he did. Now, in Advent, what we're doing is we are purposefully remembering that we are waiting for something like Simeon. I love this, this quote from Timothy Paul Jones. He says, in a religious milieu, that is, that's a fun word, by the way, milieu. We need to start using that word more. In a religious milieu that has fixated itself on using Jesus to provide seekers with the most convenient lives here and now, Advent is a particularly awkward intrusion. Let me translate that for a second because I know it's fancy talk. What he's saying is, in our world today, there is a gospel that's preached to us that Jesus will make your life easier and more convenient. But Advent is the reminder that we are a people who actually wait. Being a Christian is not convenient. Let's continue. Look what it says. Advent leaks our hearts with those of the ancient prophets who pined for a long-promised Messiah but passed away long before his arrival. In the process, Advent reminds us that we, too, are waiting. So Simeon waited for the first coming of Jesus well. And I think sometimes we forget, because we're so far removed from Scripture, we know how the story ends. We forget that the way Jesus showed up in his first coming is the same way he's going to show up in his second coming. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to come down as a beautiful baby boy, but he is gonna be coming back the same way he came when he first came, and that was unexpectedly. He didn't announce himself as Jesus when he came into that temple. He came in quietly as a 40-day-old baby, but Simeon was ready, and he's gonna come back the same way. Matthew 24, let's look at this again. For as in the days of the, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware. Somebody say unaware. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And I want to remind us that like life during Simeon's day, the day he saw Christ was business as usual. It was a normal day. It was a normal day. They did not know that they were living in a biblical story. It was business as usual in the temple, but Simeon was ready. And Jesus didn't enter into that temple uh, with a choir and a parade singing his name, he entered in as a 40-day-old baby, and nobody batted an eye when he entered into that temple. But Simeon knew. He waited well. I think we could learn something from Simeon tonight. He noticed Jesus. Take, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. When Jesus entered into the world, some were ready, most were not. When he entered into the world for the first time, some were ready, most were not prepared. So I want to ask the question, how did Simeon prepare for the way of the Lord? Why is waiting important in the first place? What is this all about? How can we wait well during Advent? So last week was about cheerfully waiting, and tonight we're going to look at um, being prepared, hopeful preparing. Now, similar to Simeon's day, we're living in a business-as-usual kind of day. It's business-as-usual, especially right now. It's Christmas-as-usual and like I said earlier, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like Christmas is a little broken. I want to read this, this quote. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's kind of funny. Timothy Paul Jones about 
Advent and Christmas. He says, for believers no less than non-believers, our calendars are dominated not by the respectful rhythms of redemption, but by the swifter currents of consumerism and efficiency. The microwave saves us from waiting for the soup to simmer on the stove. Credit cards redeem us from waiting on a paycheck to make purchases. And this backwards extension of Christmas, of the Christmas season, liberates us from having to deal with the awkward lull of Advent. And so before the last unpurchased Halloween costume has made its way to the warehouse, halls and malls are decked out with plastic holly and crimson ribbon. Have you guys noticed how early people are putting out Christmas stuff? I swear, Target had Christmas stuff up in October. They did. It was crazy. Thanksgiving provides a pre-Christmas test run on basting turkeys and and tolerating relatives. But the primary function of Thanksgiving increasingly seems to be the supply of a convenient time to gather for that spectacle consumption of consumer debt known as Black Friday. (laughs) I know that was kind of a chunky quote, kind of spicy, but he's talking about the fact that like this whole season has kind of been hijacked by consumerism. This whole season that's about, it's supposed to be about receiving Jesus has been hijacked from consumerism. And we live in a time where waiting well is difficult. I think we live in a time where waiting in general is really difficult. We don't have to wait for anything anymore, right? Our culture is run by this mindset that says, what's the point in waiting if I can get the same thing right now? What's the point in waiting if I can just get it right now? Waiting is not seen as a good thing to embrace in our life. It's actually seen as something that we are to avoid at all costs. So some thoughts that I think run in our, in our culture today are thoughts like, well, what's the point of saving up to buy a car when I can just lease a brand new car right now? Not judging anybody, I've done that before. <laughs> what's the point in waiting until I'm 21 to drink when I can just grab something from my parents' fridge right now? What's the difference? What's the point in waiting for marriage, to do marriage stuff, when I really love that person and committed now? This idea is that waiting doesn't matter if I can have the same experience right now. Are you following me? But I want to really hit this real quick. This is the lie of convenience that our modern world has fallen into. We think that we're getting the same experience quicker by not waiting, but we're not. We're actually not getting the same thing. You see, when we submit to the Lord, when we wait on the Lord, and we, because you know we have a good father who provides for us. You know that, right? Like stuff. He takes care of our needs, and he gives us things that we don't deserve. When we wait on the Lord to give us things in his timing, in his perfect will, guess what? You get amazing gifts, and you get them freely, meaning you get to enjoy them freely when you get them from the Father. But when you get things in your timing, you may get the same gift, but it comes with a cost. We see this in the prodigal son. He got the same inheritance that he would have gotten if he had just waited for his father to pass away. He got it without having to wait. He got the same gift, but it came with a massive cost, right? He was not ready to steward it. He lost it all. The children of Israel, they wanted a king in their own strength so badly because all the other nations had these amazing kings, and they did not. But instead of waiting for God to establish his kingdom, they said, I want a king now. And guess what? They got the same gift that God could have given them, but it came with a cost. 
They got it in their timing, and the king they got was not ready and fit to lead them. We see this all of the time in our culture. Specifically, I just want to hit this real quick because I've been thinking about it a lot recently, but people fall into this trap of thinking that sex outside of marriage is the same action as the sex as, as sex inside of marriage. Can we go there for a second? Like, but I want you to know, it's different. Like, you're not getting the same thing. You may be getting the same experience, but it comes with a cost, right? When we don't wait for the Lord's timing to provide us a spouse that we can do those things in the covenant of marriage, when you get that in the covenant of marriage, it's a gift you get to experience freely. But when you get it outside of marriage in your own time, you get the same action, but it comes with a massive cost to you. Are you following me? And I think when it comes to Christmas, I know that was like a, a, a deep point for a second, but let's swing it back to Christmas, okay? <laughs> Good transition, Pastor Jackson. I think we kind of struggle in the same way sometimes. We struggle with waiting. I see this in a, in a really funny way. I want to just uh, tackle this debate for a second. I know it's a hot topic debate, um, but my wife and I, we just recently moved. We used to live in a cul-de-sac. And so our house, our old house, it faced the street. We didn't see into any of our neighbors' uh, houses. They were really private. They always had their blinds shut. So during the Christmas season, we never saw into their living rooms. Not like I was trying to look into their living rooms, but you know, you've done it before. <laughs> so I could never see, I never saw my neighbors' houses. I never saw inside in their living rooms. They were very private. But now we live in this, this new duplex and our neighbors are directly in front of us. And I can see right into their living room. And um, so Thanksgiving break, all right? Thanksgiving break. It's, uh, it's November 20th. The date is important, okay? Remember the date. November 20th. My family and I, we're getting ready to travel down to Dallas to see the rest of our family. And I'm packing up the car. And I happen to uh, look up at my neighbor's house. Her name is Lacey. She's a sweet lady. Single mom. She's got two young boys. Awesome boyfriend who's probably going to be her husband very soon. She's a sweet lady. She's awesome. But I noticed something about Lacey's living room on November 20th. I look in her living room, and she has a Christmas tree up. No. No. I look up, and she is showing it off, too. I'm looking up. It is four days until Thanksgiving. And she's got her Christmas tree up, ornaments. It looks amazing. It's a beautiful looking Christmas tree. But you know what I'm thinking in my head? We haven't even celebrated Thanksgiving yet. No, 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 Lacey, calm down. Now, I just need to know, New Song students, who likes to celebrate Christmas in this way? Come on, be proud. We're gonna be, we're gonna be doing a special altar call for you guys after service. We will be praying for you because that is, that is broken. That's broken. <laughs> now, hear me, hear me. I say this kind of like I'm tongue-in-cheek. I'm joking. I'm totally kidding. I really don't care when you put your Christmas tree up. <laughs> but what I do care about is us waiting well. And if putting your Christmas tree up three months before Christmas helps you to worship Jesus, go for it. I'm just going to be honest. It doesn't help me. Like, I grew up in a family where, bless my mother's heart, she's amazing, but our home looked like the North Pole came and vandalized our entire house. Like, 
And so Haley and I, we don't do that. We like barely put up any Christmas decorations because by the time Christmas comes, I'm like kind of burnt out of Christmas. I'm not ready to celebrate Jesus. I'm like, okay, can we take this stuff down? So I want us to wait well, New Song students. How do we wait well? Why is waiting important in the first place? I got three points for us tonight on why waiting is important and why we should lean into waiting. It's an uncomfortable feeling, but we need to lean into it in this Advent season. The first reason is this. In God's world, we wait. Waiting is important because, listen to me, we don't live in our world. We live in God's world. And this is sometimes the trap we can fall into with the convenience of our culture. We've got Amazon Prime. We can stream brand new movies in our couch, on our couch before ever having to go to the theater. I can DoorDash food to my front door without ever having to get my butt up and go to Taco Bell, right? We can, we can do whatever we want. The trap that we fall into is we start to live in this imaginary world where everything revolves around my desires on my timeline because it's my world. But New Song students, we don't live in our world. We live in God's world. And in God's world and in God's word, I promise you, you know, what's, you know what you're going to find a lot in his word and in his world? Waiting. A lot of waiting. And this is something that we can try to distract ourselves from feeling, but we cannot avoid waiting. You've got seeds that you sow and you've got harvest. What happens in between that? You wait, right? The, that's true. Water does take place in between that. In between slavery uh, of God's people in Egypt and their promised land was what? Waiting. In between the prophets who prophesied about a coming Messiah and Jesus coming was a long period of waiting. In between Jesus' first coming and second coming, what are we doing right now? We're waiting. In God's world, we wait. And even though we are in the most technologically advanced society the world has ever known, you know what we haven't been able to do? Speed things up that God has told us take time. We can't speed things up. We're only able to ignore it and distract ourselves, which actually doesn't help us at all, which I'm going to get into in just a second. We can't make the weekend come any faster, no matter how bad we want the weekend. We can't, we can't make graduation day for my upperclassmen, we can't make it come any quicker than it's coming, right? I know you guys want graduation day. It's coming, but you're going to have to wait, right? We can't make winter come quicker if you're a, summer, if you're a winter person. If you're a summer person, we can't, make come, we can't make summer come quicker. We have to do, all we can do is sit back and embrace what God has called us to do, which is to wait. So why is waiting important? Well, because when we don't lean into waiting for things that God has naturally called us to just rest in, what we end up doing is we try forcing it to take place, which is not good, or we go to the opposite and we completely distract ourselves, which is also not good because then we don't find Jesus in our life. I just got one question before us before we go to the next point is, New Song students, is there anything in your life right now that you are trying to force in your own strength right now, anything that is a good thing, it could be a good thing, like you want a relationship, you, wanna, you want more freedom from your parents, you want to be treated like an adult, all of those things are not bad things, they're great things, but are you trying to force them? Because I promise you, you getting those things outside of God's timing will not be helpful to you, it's actually going to hurt you, so we need to lean into 
the waiting. We need to embrace God's timing. Why are we going to wait? Well, because in God's world, we wait. Number two is this. When we choose to not wait, we choose to be asleep. We choose to be asleep. What does this mean? Matthew 24. Let's go back to our opening passage. Jesus says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two, men, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. Somebody say, stay awake. Stay awake, for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. Now look at this. This is interesting. Jesus, when he's describing the people who were living during the time of the flood and what people are going to be like in his second coming, he doesn't say um, one person is going to be doing evil things and one person is going to be doing good things. He talks about one person being asleep and one person being awake. I think this is interesting. He's using this imagery of asleep versus awake. And this is a beautiful picture spiritually of what we fall into when we don't embrace waiting. We find ourselves almost like in this sleep-like stupor spiritually where we're sleepwalking through life. We don't necessarily know what we're doing. We're just doing things. I I did a little bit of uh, research on sleepwalking. Any sleepwalkers in the house? I want to read this to you real quick. Check this out. This is interesting. Sleepwalking is a type of sleep disorder known as parasonomia. Parasonomia is an abnormal behavior during sleep. I didn't know that was abnormal. Uh, foreshadowing for something I'm going to share with you guys. Episodes of sleepwalking can involve various or simple complex, variously simple or complex actions and can last anywhere between five seconds to half an hour. Half an hour of sleepwalking. An episode may involve walking or running. Can you imagine that? Just like, yeah, yeah. Open, glassy eyes with a blank stare on their face. Minimally responsive or incoherent routine actions like getting dressed or moving furniture in your sleep. And more. One long-term study found that 29% of children from around 2 to 13 experience sleepwalking with a peak between ages 10 and 13. Look at this. This is interesting. In adults... The prevalence is estimated to be up to 4%. Now, New Song students, I'm happy to inform you that I make up one of that 4% of sleepwalkers. You can thank me later. You can thank me later. Um, But it happened over Thanksgiving break. Hasn't happened in a while, uh, but it happened. And Haley didn't even tell me for like a week. She like forgot about it. That's how normal it is, okay? So she tells me about this sleepwalking incident that we had. We were were at uh, her mother's house, and she said she was sleeping, and she felt like somebody was looking at her. She woke up. (laughs) She she felt like somebody was looking at her. So so she turns her shoulder, and I'm... (laughs) Yeah. Super creepy, right? Just... So... She asks me, she's like, Jackson, what's going on? She said, I was like, she needs a walk. That's what I said. She needs a walk. And Haley was like, who? And which is funny because our dog is a boy. And I don't think I was talking about our daughter. I don't know. I was just like, she needs a walk. And eventually she said, I just got back into bed and she was like, Jackson, who? And I just said, no one. And then I fell asleep. <sighs> yeah. Any, does anybody else have a sibling that sleepwalks? Yeah. It's pretty freaky. Now, this is sort of a funny example 
This is sort of a funny example of what is a very real spiritual reality that we see in, in our world today. See, when we choose to not wait well, when we choose to not wait well on the Lord, then we inevitably, we inevitably find ourselves being lulled to sleep. We walk our lives in almost like a sleep-like stupor. We're doing all of the things in our life, but we are not conscious of what we're doing. There's two things that I think happen when we are lulled to sleep by the things of this world. The first thing is that we do things without any conscious thought. And then we find ourselves afterwards and we are thinking to ourselves, why in the world did I do that? Have you ever done that before? With like a sin before? Or something you said, you're like, why in the world did I say that? This happens because we're lulled to sleep. We're not prepared, we're not awake, we're not waiting well. We do things without consciously thinking. We see this with Esau selling his birthright to his deceitful brother um, Jacob, all for a bowl of vegetable stew. And you know he was not thinking doing that. He was lulled to sleep. And you know that the second he finished that last bite of soup, he was thinking to himself, why did I do that? I'm gonna spend the rest of my life regretting selling my birthright for this bowl of soup. We see this with, with Adam and Eve in the garden. I wonder what would have happened if the enemy came and tempted them. What would have happened if they waited for the Lord to walk by? What would have happened? The Lord would have been able to come up and like talk them through what is happening, but they didn't wait, right? They took matters in their own hands. We'll never know what would have happened. We know what did happen. They fell into the enemy's trap, and you know they were thinking when they left the garden, what was I thinking? Trusting this snake. And you know what's funny is we look at the story of Esau and Jacob. We look at the story of Adam and Eve, and we think to them, what were you guys thinking? But you know we do the same thing. We literally do the same thing. When we trade God's best for a sinful desire, we've done the same thing. We've been lulled to sleep. When we trade a moment in prayer to God for doom scrolling, we've done the same thing. We've done the same thing. We've been lulled to sleep by the cares of this world. We're unconsciously eating from whatever's put in front of us. Whatever the world puts in front of us, whatever our friends put in front of us, whatever culture puts in front of us. The second thing that happens, because we aren't able to wait well and we're doing things unconsciously, is we inevitably miss out on seeing Jesus. We wonder, like, Jesus, where are you in my life? When he's right in front of us. He's in the temple, he's baby Jesus, he's right there, he's here but we don't see him. We've been lulled to sleep. And it feels like right now in this Christmas season, that's an easy place to get to, to be lulled to sleep by what's that next thing I can get? What's that next gift I can receive? We're lulled to sleep by the consumerism of this world. And I feel like most Christians are missing Jesus right in front of their eyes during this season. But Advent, when we choose to slow down and to lean into the waiting, listen to this, Advent is a proclamation of the sufficiency of Christ through the discipline of waiting. What does that mean? It means that when you choose to wait to get what you want, what you're declaring is, Jesus, you're enough. That's really good. When you choose, like, I, I dare you to do this this year. What's one thing you want for Christmas? Don't ask for it. The Holy Spirit just gave that to me today. That was in my notes. Don't ask for it. I'll do it too. Don't ask for it. That's a proclamation that Christ, you're enough for me. I can wait on this. When we choose to not wait, we're lulled to sleep. 
We start to do things unconsciously. We don't know why we're doing them. We don't see Jesus in front of us, but who wants to see Jesus in their life during this season? I know I do. So how can we be prepared? I'm, I've been waiting this whole message to finally get to this last point. Number three, when we choose to wait, we're prepared to receive. We're gonna receive something. What is that? Well, Simeon's posture of waiting prepared him for the fact or for the moment of that unexpected revealing of Jesus in the temple. Now, he had a part to play in being ready. And Pastor Sarah last week talked about his part to play. He had a part to play. We have a part to play in being prepared for Jesus. And so I wanna, I wanna look at what he did and then what actually God does. Look at this. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter two. I wanna invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. Luke chapter two, verses 25. This is Simeon in the temple. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, what's that word? Righteous and? He was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So what did Sarah talk about last week? She talked about our part to play in the waiting. What's our part to play? We live a consecrated and devout life. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Simeon lived a life that the New Testament would describe as being a sober-minded life. He was aware and he obeyed the teachings of scripture. And us being, being ready for Jesus in our business as usual kind of busy season, we have to live a certain way. There's a part we have to play if we're gonna be ready to see Jesus and we have to submit to God's ways, submit to God's word. We have to resist impurity. We have to go from being people of education to people of formation. What does that mean? We can't just be people who know a lot of good stuff up here, but don't do it. We have to be a people of formation. So we're doing the things that we talk about here in New Song Students outside of New Song students. That's our part we have to play in being ready. We have to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, amen? amen. That's our part we have to play. But being a doer of the word was not the only thing that Simeon did. Because he did his part by being righteous, God did his part by giving him a gift. Now, I wanna remind you that in the temple that day, there was a lot of doers of the word that didn't see Jesus. There was a lot of doers of the word, people giving sacrifices to God, people reciting scripture, people worshiping God in that very temple, doing all of the religious things. They were doers of the word, but they still didn't notice Jesus. And we talk a lot about living a holy life here at New Song Church because the Bible talks a lot about living a holy life. So we talk about that, but that's not the only thing we're called to do, to just live a holy life and do holy things. Look at this, Simeon did his part, but God did his part too. Let's see what God did for Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And look at this, here's the key right here. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Look at this, verse 27. And he came in the spirit to the temple. He was led by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. David Guzik says this, it was not rumors, but the spirit who led him into the temple that day. Simeon was a man who knew how to be led by the Holy Spirit, both in hearing God's promise to him and being prompted to go into the temple at the right time. This is crazy, New Song students. Simeon was ultimately ready because the Holy Spirit was with him and the Holy Spirit was leading him. New Song students, I understand that a lot of us in this room are doing all of the right things. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit though? Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? If you were to be completely honest with yourself tonight, who is leading you more right now? Who's leading you more, yourself, your friends, your algorithm on your phone? Who's leading you more right now? Is it those things or is it the Holy Spirit? Because to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit is to be awake. That's what it is to be awake. Look at what Ephesians chapter five says. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Look at that, that's our part to play. We do wise things. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And look at this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. David Guzik says, Paul contrasts the effect of the Holy Spirit with the state of drunkenness. Alcohol is a depressant. It loosens people because it depresses their self-control, their wisdom, their balance, and their judgment. The Holy Spirit has the exact opposite effect. He is a stimulant. He moves every aspect of our being to better and more perfect performance. And this is not a one-time filling, New Song students. We know that when Paul said this, he wasn't saying be filled with the Holy Spirit once. He said you need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And I feel like the best thing that we can do as the people of God to be ready, to be prepared, to wait well, is to receive the gift, to receive the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that God is a good father and if your earthly father would give you a good gift, how much, how much better would your heavenly father, now pause, the church usually takes that verse as saying, God will give you whatever you want. But that verse actually says, how much more will the father give you the Holy Spirit? New Song students, what you need this Christmas is not whatever is on your Christmas list. What you need is a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be awake. And my question for you tonight is, when was the last time you received a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? This is something we can receive daily. And so we're gonna do an altar call in just a second and I'm gonna invite you to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh again. Maybe that's for the first time ever. What that means is simply this. When you're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're actually, we're actually baptized into Jesus at salvation by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus lets us know that there's a third baptism and it's when Jesus fills us submerges us completely with the Holy Spirit. And that's available to you. And when you live that way, you can be led like Simeon into places where you will find Jesus in your life. So my question for you tonight is if you can't remember the last time that you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you, tonight's your night. If you can't remember the last time you said, Holy Spirit, fill me, tonight's a perfect night for you to receive that fresh feeling. And you know what, tomorrow morning when you wake up, that's a perfect time for you to wake up and say, Holy Spirit, 
Would you fill me? Who wants to be prepared? New song students. Anybody want to live awake, not asleep? We don't have to, because we don't have to live asleep, because we have the gift available to us. We're going to receive it in just a second. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?